0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. This week we continue our series, Persevering in Hope, and today with a message entitled, The One Who Restrains. So turning your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 to 12, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: There was a time in our history, shortly after the Universal Flood, When the human race was again multiplying, they were on the plains of Shinar, what would now be the territorial boundaries of the nation of Iraq. There, the human race built a super city, a city which was to be the center of the new earth. All people at that time spoke but one language, and because of geographical distances between people was not great, and because of the ease of communication, technological developments came quickly. They were able to make hardened bricks, and instead of simply using mortar, they developed bitumen as the means of holding the bricks together, and so the size of buildings increased rapidly. And so they built a religious tower at the center of the city. At the top of the tower reached to the heavens. They said, from there, we can communicate with the gods, and they determined to advance in technology so that they would build for themselves the greatest of all civilizations. Indeed, in those days, you know, in some ways, much like our own days, they said, nothing will be impossible for us. Indeed, it must have seemed that way. But that city on the plains of Shinar was exceedingly wicked. With the growth of technology, the increase of wickedness seemed overwhelming. And so the Lord came and observed the nature of that civilization. And he confused their languages so that they would not understand each other and he spread them out, dispersed them over the face of the earth. Now then, why is this such an important historical event? And the answer to that goes all the way back to the conditions that once existed before the universal flood. In those days, violence and wickedness was so great that had it continued, the wicked would have destroyed all those who were faithful to God. Indeed, they almost pulled that off. Then, of course, God sent a flood, and Noah and his family alone survived. But after the flood, God made a promise. He would never destroy the earth with a flood again. But how can God make such a promise? After all, nothing has changed in terms of the human propensity to do evil. I mean, what prevents conditions from becoming like they were as they were before the time of the flood? And that's where the account of the Tower of Babel comes in. The Tower of Babel and God's dispersing of the human families into countless cultures spread all over the earth, all with individual national interests. Well, that's God's plan. When nations establish their own areas of living and when they develop borders for their territories, they set themselves up against other nations. And the constant conflict between nations is God's plan to prevent a super society from ever coming into existence, yeah? I know nation against nations does sometimes result in war, and with that is the cause of untold suffering on this earth. But consider what would be the case if this were not so. In that case, a super society could develop, and wickedness would be without restraint. As it is, evil is kept in check. There is a restraint on the power of evil. Well, in our study of Second Thessalonians, Paul has told the Thessalonians that immediately prior to the day of the Lord, there would be a rebellion against God in which the nations would turn against their creator as never before. And then a man of lawlessness would arise, and he would demand universal and worldwide worship. The restraint from the time of the Tower of Babel until the present would be removed, and now for the first time since then a super society would be allowed to develop. And so let's continue to read from Second Thessalonians. In this case, we've come to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's taken out of the way. So it would seem that the Thessalonian Christians understood something was restraining or holding back the man of lawlessness. Something was restraining him from coming. And Paul says, you know what it is. Now, from our perspective, reading this letter some 2,000 years later, we might find this just a bit frustrating. We might say, yes, Paul, they knew because you taught them when you were there. But we, so many years later, well, we don't know what you said. So it can seem frustrating for us to begin to imagine what this was. And there have been all manner of theories. I mean, one theory is that this restraining force must be the church. That is, the presence of the church in society is a restraint on evil. However, that can't be what Paul meant here, because at the time of the writing of this letter, the church was not much of a force at all. It was just a very tiny movement. And most of the cities of the world had never heard the gospel. Besides, Paul never said that his preaching of the gospel was holding back evil. Rather, he says that his preaching of the gospel is rescuing people from evil. So I don't think the restraint has anything to do with the church. Well, some have suggested that the Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth in those days. After all, Jesus in John 16, verse 8, said that the Holy Spirit would come to convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. But again, I don't think that's what Paul is getting at either. You know, for one, as we read through the book of Revelation, we do find the activity of the righteous, that is, those followers of Jesus who overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And so regardless of where you stand on this matter of the rapture, whether it occurs before the tribulation or at the end of it, I mean, all of us will agree that there are believers on the earth during the great tribulation. And if you who are listening have a good doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you should know it's impossible for anyone to be either saved or to be faithful to Jesus apart from the activity of the Spirit. And so from a robust doctrine of the Spirit, we know that Paul can't have been teaching that the Holy Spirit is going to be removed in the last days. Well, what are we left with? Well, some have pointed out that Daniel 10 verse 13, where an angel tells Daniel that he would have come to him earlier as a result of his prayers, but that this angel was locked in a warfare with the kings of Persia. In that warfare, Michael, one of God's angels, came to give assistance to overcome this force. And then at the end of that section, that is in Daniel 10, verse 20, it reads, Then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. That is when the Persian empire, which does evil, is finally eliminated, a new empire will arise, Greece, in which again the angelic host are called upon to fight the evil impulses of that new superpower. So let's consider the book of Revelation. Revelation 12:7 says, "Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, And the dragon and his angels fought back. Well, as one reads through Revelation, one gets a very clear picture of a great spiritual warfare, and it's going on in the heavenly realms. And from these descriptions, a picture begins to emerge. God's angels are constantly locked in battle. They're restraining an even greater evil from happening than the one that already exists on this earth. And so from this perspective, the one who restrains— Well, that might be God himself who is giving orders to his angels to fight the battle and to hold evil off. Now, I hold this view of the one who restrains it. It seems to me that when people say, you know, why are there so many wars? I mean, why is there so much evil? Why is there so much heartache in this world? That one response to that question is to say, you know, perhaps you're asking the wrong question. What we should really be asking is, why isn't there more evil in the world given that we're estranged from god given that everyone is born into sin given that sin has distorted every aspect of every human being's humanity given that sin also exists in governments and that governments have the power over countless lives and that governments have the power to be self-serving and corrupt why isn't there far more evil than presently exists see i think that Paul taught on this when he was in Thessalonica. After all, when Paul wrote the Ephesian letter, chapter six, he speaks of great cosmic forces of evil in the heavenlies. But God is good. To this very day, he restrains evil, he keeps it at bay. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter two, Paul tells us that our duty is always to be in prayer for governments and for kings and those in positions of authority. So a picture should be forming in our minds. There's great spiritual battle, but as a result of this battle, God is restraining the forces of evil using the angelic hosts. And this will continue until God, in his infinite sovereignty, takes this restraint out of the way.
0: Everyone has a story. Your own story is not just about your birth, but your new birth as well. Jesus has granted you a story of life and of eternal life. Dr. John Neufeld has a series entitled Your Salvation Story. In these five messages, he unpacks the theological and practical implications of our redemption in Jesus. This month, Back to the Bible Canada is offering a free CD copy of Your Salvation Story with a special booklet to help you reflect on your God-given grace. It'll help you to unpack and offer clarity on some of the misconceptions you may have about your own salvation. So to request your free CD series and Reflection Guide, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And don't hesitate, the Reflection Guide is available only as supplies last and more can be purchased for group use.
1: God has a plan for this world. You know, in this present hour, he restrains evil so that the good news of the gospel is going to be preached to the ends of the earth so that every nation, every people group might have an opportunity to hear the saving news of Jesus. And so for the sake of the elect, so that many more will come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, the secret power of wickedness that would unleash unbridled evil into this world is actively being restrained. But then, according to verse 7, the one who restrains is going to be taken out of the way. And when that happens, the world is going to see the most dramatic shift towards evil in its history. Now, look, to say this doesn't make Christians pessimists. We're not pessimists. We're realists. The hope for the human race doesn't rest in the human spirit. The hope for the human race rests in God. God so loved the world, and God will one day redeem this world. But before he does, before he closes the door on this stage of human history, God is continuing to be patient with us so that more would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. But then at some unspecified time in the future, this era is going to come to a very quick end. It will happen when he who restrains the Antichrist and worldwide evil will be taken out of the way. Now to verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Notice how quickly Paul puts together the words, the revelation of the lawless one, and then the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth. Again, we're reminded why the apostle called him the son of destruction. Let's go back to the beginning of the sentence. The lawless one will be revealed, says Paul. Uh, The verb that Paul uses, reveal. It means like a veil to be taken off. You know, I notice in this regard how similar is this thought to the thought of John. In in 1 John 4, 2 and 3, John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So John's talking about spirits in the world. No doubt he has in mind angels and and demons. So how can you tell a demon? Well, you can tell a demon by asking the demon if he confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. John says that because he knows what Paul knows. Satan clothes himself as an angel of light. And it's important for believers, says John, to recognize and to discern the spirits of evil. And then in John's words, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And to that, let me add John's words found in 1 John 2, 18. He said, children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So the words many Antichrists have come, well, they tell us that there have been rulers and men of power who were ready to rule the entire earth. And I imagine that each of these men would have been glad and proud to be the Antichrist. So let me bring that into the present hour. You know, in the last century alone, I would think that I could identify at least three that would have longed for the role of Antichrist: Hitler, Stalin, Mao. Each one was sold to do evil. Each one murdered people by the millions. But the one who restrains forbade them from playing that global role. The time was not yet at hand. But then the veil is removed, says Paul. The one who restrains opens the door. But again, lest believers should think that God is not in control, even in the days of the greatest evil the earth has ever seen. Paul is quick to add that this one is not only destined to play this role of Antichrist, he's also destined to be destroyed by Jesus. And we are not to think that this is a difficult matter for Jesus to accomplish. Paul says Jesus destroys him with the breath of his mouth. You know, some have suggested that's an allusion to Isaiah's words in Isaiah 11, verse 4. That reads, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he, that is the Messiah, shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. But we're also reminded here of God's action in creation. You know, God merely speaks the word, and all physical matter comes into being. Or we might be reminded of Jesus during his earthly ministry. He's standing on a boat, and he's speaking over the howling wind and the crashing waves, and he simply says, be still. And all of nature responds in obedience to his voice. See, all of those are apt illustrations of what Paul's after here. Jesus says to the Antichrist, I will allow you to go thus far and no further. And after you've gone that far, I merely speak a word and you are killed. Jesus, not the Antichrist, is Lord of this earth. And then having said that, Paul then reminds the Thessalonian believers when it's going to happen. It's going to happen at the appearing of his coming. Again, we see the, the vast content that Paul puts into that one phrase, the day of the Lord. Now, here the Greek word that Paul uses is the word epiphania, coming. Now, you might remember that in some Christian circles, there's a tradition of an annual celebration of epiphany. You know, it's it's often celebrated in early January. It's associated with the arrival of the wise men to visit the baby Jesus. And the idea behind that celebration is that this is a symbol of Christ revealing himself to the Gentiles. It means to appear, epiphania, epiphany. And so, so notice Paul's use of words for the second coming of Jesus. He's spoken of the parousia, the coming, then the epiphany, the appearing. And then notice that all these words are taken up within the idea of the day of the Lord. Jesus comes for his people. Jesus comes to the world to pay back with retribution all his enemies. He's then marveled at among his people whom he calls home in the twinkling of an eye. But now we also see that when the day of the Lord arrives, this also will be the time when the Antichrist is killed and the spirit of lawlessness is finally and ultimately defeated. Very good. Let's now go to 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness." Now this passage here in 2 Thessalonians, you know, it, it fits so well with what John describes in, in Revelation 13. Now that chapter begins with the words, "'I saw a beast rising out of the sea.'" Now the beast is the Antichrist, and the sea represents the turbulent waters of the nations. And, says John, that this beast is so powerful that people think, you know, I, I can't defeat him. So, Revelation 13, 4 says, And they worship the dragon, that's a reference to Satan, for he had given his authority to the beast, the Antichrist, and they worship the beast, saying, Who's like the beast? Who can fight against it? Huh. And so, says Paul, for a brief time, Satan will give power to the man of lawlessness so that this man will be able to perform miracles and he will deceive many people. Here's a marvelous truth. You know, once anyone comes to Christ, his or her feet are on solid ground, the ground of truth of the gospel of Jesus. And there will be no deception for the people of God. But that's not the case for those who have rejected the truth. God then uses the Antichrist to deceive them further. Once they fail to embrace the gospel, God then sends them a strong delusion. And that may sound strange that it is God who sends the delusion. But remember, God, who once restrained the man of lawlessness, will in the future restrain him no more. And so as the world of unbelievers now welcomes a spirit of lawlessness into the world, God uses the deception of the lawless one through the work of miracles that he does that comes directly from Satan. He uses that deception to condemn those who take pleasure in unrighteousness. That means that everyone's eternal destiny is bound up in whether or not they bow to the truth or they reject the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. To embrace Jesus is to embrace truth. If you want to be in the place where the one who is evil cannot deceive you, you must embrace Jesus, for he alone can keep us locked into truth. Paul says, that's what's going on right now. Until this hour, God has had mercy and held the evil back. The time will come when he will do so no more.
0: Thanks, John. Let me ask you this. Is it true that the spirit of the Antichrist is actually present right now and and that the only reason the Antichrist hasn't arrived is because God has chosen to delay his coming?
1: Yeah, Uh, God has chosen, I think, for the sake of the elect, for the sake of reaching the lost, God in love has restrained him, so I think there have been many uh, in history who would have loved to play the role of Antichrist, but God has said no to them and we're so thankful for that. Uh, We recognize this is a part of God's mercy and a part of our ongoing call to share the gospel while time remains. Thanks so much,
0: John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Persevering in Hope, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible Teaching you can trust. Want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Back to the Bible Canada? Then follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're there. There's no better way to be up to date on all of our latest audio or video Bible teaching programs, blogs, special Bible resources, and much more. And while you're there, be sure to leave a comment and let us know about your questions, your feedback, or the impact this Bible teaching ministry has had on your spiritual walk. We love hearing from you. And don't forget to share the posts with a loved one so they can also receive encouragement that is always rooted in God's Word. For more information or to request this month's free Bible resource, Your Salvation Story, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And while you're there, it would mean so much if you consider a gift to support this Bible teaching ministry.